FONTVN. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as we broadcast from the Monday version of the Nebraska State Fair. Well, many folks here at the State Fair are looking at the markets, and the biggest question is, what the heck? And that's in regard to what's been happening with the soybean market. Even a few scratching their head over the wheat trade. We're going to get all the details today as Mike Suzalo joins us. He is with Global Commodity Analytics. And I think we got to start there, Mike. Uh, what happened to the soybean market? And was there some pro-farmer influence still happening? I think it did because, Susan, I think one of the things, and, and there's a lot of things going on in soybeans right now. It, it's just been that way all year long. And so soybeans are trading their own fundamentals, but they're also trading currencies. They're also trading Chinese growth. But I do think that the pro-farmer pod count number and the suggestion by uh, Brian Greed from pro-farmer to at least some in the media that he was interviewed by uh, suggesting that they could have gone higher on pod count and tried to be conservative. I think that kind of sentiment and mindset really fed back into the trade, not believing as much at the time the USDA yield increase on the WASDE report earlier this month. And so when they took the yields back up towards 52 bushels an acre, I don't think we really priced that in. I think instead we went higher with the idea that the weather was hurting us and that the demand was not going to back down. And this was before the Chinese weakness uh, started to be seen so dramatically in some of their economic data and the drought that is in their number one pork producing province. That was before that time period as well. So I think the pro farmer tour highlighted again the yield increase by USDA, and we had to, quite frankly, go back and retrade that uh, kind of a number, especially if we got rain. So the, the answer to the following week here or the next 10 days of price action really is, is kind of at a point now where whatever the crop conditions say today and then going into the next 10 days of weather, we may have to put that premium back into the soybeans because the trade may have to go back and say, well, it can't be 52 bushels at this point because the rains haven't come and the crop conditions continue to go lower. So there's a lot of price action to be done here in the beans. And I'll close with this. The September-November bean spread has had a range of $0.67. Cents. That was a new uh, two-month low on the bottom side. And then had a high of $2.11. And this is on a monthly chart that took out its two, uh, 2014 highs. That was a 17-year high as well, Susan. So we had a outside month going in the bean spread between the September and the November. And what we noticed today was the September really kind of collapsed. It was down 66, almost 70 cents on the day. I think this goes back to the delivery of September beans coming now that we had option expiration on Friday. So it, this bean market's like a diamond. It's like it's going to be multifaceted and have a lot of things coming out of here in the next 10, 15 days. You know the old saying about rain makes grain, but is it going to be a little bit too late for the soybeans? I think here, too, the Pro Farmer Tour did confirm to me what I had seen when I took a drive from northeast Kansas, pretty much straight east all the way to the Ohio-Indiana border and then straight north, essentially, to Detroit, Michigan, and did my own little mini crop tour. And it was truly fascinating to me uh, once you got up towards the I-80 corridor 
um, whether you were talking about Toledo, Ohio, all the way across to Des Moines. You got above that area and you went north of I-80. It was astounding to me how young the crop was and how much more potential the crop could have on it as far as even corn, but especially soybeans with the number of pods that we have generally speaking, in that area above I-80 on both sides of the Corn Belt. So to answer your question, yeah, you could add some uh, significant yield, I think, north of I-80 to compensate for some of the problems in the western Corn Belt. Not all of it, but some of it. Well, since we're talking about soybeans, are we going to see any planting preparation pressure, try saying that three times fast, coming coming out of South America? You know, I think we could be in the next 30 days, but I think what's trumping that right now is the fear that La Nina is going to come back in, and it doesn't do any good for the promotion of 150-plus million metric ton soybean crop coming out of Brazil this upcoming year, which is the forecast, the early forecasts by a lot of the South American private analysts down there. It doesn't do a lot of good to think that you're going to reach that kind of level, Susan, when you have frost and freeze warnings in southern Brazil right now, and they just came off one this past weekend uh, for the wheat crop. So I think this is where I I believe if we stay La Nina-ish in the weather in South America, the trade will probably be hesitant to try and price in a huge crop, and, and especially because... They've done that two years in a row now. We, we priced in a huge crop in 21. We tried to do it this year again, and it just didn't end up being that big. And so I think maybe they'll go the opposite route this time if the weather stays hot, hotter and drier. What insight can you give us on this exploding wheat numbers that we saw today? A nice price rally. It was really needed. It really was a nice price rally, and it was very much needed because that wheat corn spread and the soft red wheat had gotten dangerously close to a dollar a bushel, and wheat had fallen that much to the corn price. And, you know, you go below a dollar a bushel, Susan, and especially if you have lower quality harvests like some of the Eastern Europeans are reportedly having, you have an issue now with it being a feed grain and competing with corn. So. It was really interesting because Canada's on track for a 34.5 million metric ton crop. That came from Stats Canada this morning. Russia's saying that they're going to see exports go above 43 million tons. USDA is at 42. Copper was leading the declines today in percentage terms. You didn't have much to go on, so you had to think it's probably supply-demand. And I think the two top factors is the Chinese drought is hurting their rice crop at this point. I think that southern Brazil frost threat is also real. So you have weather, and I think also the Black Sea supply issues are resurfacing. And I'm not so sure it's not doesn't have some to do with that nuclear facility. What's coming up? It's a Fontenelle final bell. At Fontenelle Hybrids, we'd like to visit with you about reaching your yield goals in 2023 with our high-performing corn hybrids and Extend Flex soybeans. Fontenelle products are locally tested and selected because we know Nebraska. Stop and see us at Husker Harvest Days and remember to see your local Fontenelle dealer before mid-October for the best discounts. Fontenelle Hybrid, solutions you need, relationships you trust. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewards. Nebraska. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We continue to broadcast today from the Nebraska State Fair. And Mike Zuzlo continues to join us with Global Commodity Analytics. We kind of left off talking about what was happening within this wheat complex, but I'm wondering... As, as harvest starts to get underway in the south, are we going to start seeing any of this early harvest pressure? And even to the north, as guys are having to chop and get into the fields way earlier than they normally would be. 
Yeah, you would think we would, Susan. I think it's more likely that the soybeans will find the harvest pressure, and if they find harvest pressure, maybe the corn gets pulled down with that. And I think this goes back to the crop conditions report this afternoon. But I think from what I've heard so far in the early harvesting of corn, whether it's southwestern Missouri, whether it's down in Texas, uh, whether it's Kansas producers, um, I, they're quite frankly not even sure they're going to chop at this point because of some of the crop situations. And so I don't think you're going to get a lot of harvest pressure out of the areas they are going to harvest early this year, hardly at all. And so it really makes me think that maybe the futures market wants to pull back because the beans may want to lead that pullback. Um, but it's going to be, I think, pretty hard for the cash market and the corn especially to pull to lead the pullback at this stage. So I do think the Pro Farmer Tour did a lot when it came to solidifying a lot of private analysts' expectations, including mine, because my yield report a couple weeks prior to Pro Farmer's Tour was 171.5, and I had knocked that down about 1, 1.5 bushels from what I initially thought it would be because some of the extra uh, data that I looked at said this is not going to come back because of the heat that we dealt with in the Corn Belt and in the Southern Belt especially. And that brings to mind the idea that the cattleman out there, the feeder out there, who's been running red hot on feeder cattle prices, I'm real nervous at this point that without the corn supplies, the feeder cattle are gonna have to go through a pretty tough time here in the next 30 to 60 days, especially with the demand looking like it's starting to weaken here. So the higher the wheat goes, I think the the less the beans have to go down and therefore the corn can go up as well and, and continue to rally. So I think livestock feeders really need to be on point with this. And one last point about this is last week, at the end of the week, I recommended by a text blast to clients and subscribers to lock in their spring fertilizer needs. And I've had several call back and say the, the bids for next year have been pulled as of last week because of the European Union's. Uh, energy crisis and led by the natural gas market and so this adds even further potential stress to the cattle feeding the livestock operations out there going into 2023 so be very aware of what's going on around you and if you have a good basis right now to lock in feed i think it might be a good thing to do some great advice before we switch over to full livestock here quick are you going to be watching for any export number information this week Oh, without a doubt. I mean, obviously, the export sales um, were, were essentially a train wreck coming off that new uh, platform that USDA uh, tried to use. And so we want good, solid numbers. Um, we want, we, you know, obviously accurate numbers. But this is the time period where a lot of the northern hemisphere harvest is over in the wheat. And so it kind of shakes out, I think, as to whether you're going to have enough wheat out there or not. And with this rice issue that we talked about in the first segment, I think this is where the weekly export inspections today, the wheat was on the top end of the trade guesstimates uh, from the newswires. I'd look for that to continue because I really do think that the Black Sea supplies are just not coming like they need to come, especially for the holes and and end-user demand that uh, haven't been filled yet. So on the livestock side, are you seeing any technical sell signals for cattle coming up? You know, on Friday, I did see on the weekly feeder cattle chart a, a trend line that's been built off the last six to ten weeks of price action. Um, it looked dangerously close to a sell signal, and I would say at this point, after Monday's trade, I did get what you would classify as, in my opinion, a sell signal on the weekly chart, Susan. And that kind of matches up with not just the corn and the pro-farmer tour issues that I just spoke about, but it also kind of matches up with 
if we think about why the feeders have been rallying, it's been on the drought and the fears that our supplies are going down. But then when I saw a three-pound increase in dressed weights on the weekly kill last week, and I saw that we were 25,000 head above a year ago levels in the same week, that doesn't add up that we've got supply problems. Yes, we're liquidating, and yeah, we're liquidating about 50% in terms of the cows and, and uh, heifers in the slaughter mix, but that still, to me, doesn't add up. I think there's some real marketing demand issues that are starting to play out here, and it makes me concerned that the feeder cattle fundamentals are not necessarily as strong as what maybe we were hoping they would be uh, based upon the drought and, and what the cash markets have done so far. And keep in mind, we're coming up against fall calving, and I've talked to many cattlemen, many cow-calf producers that are talking to me right now, wondering whether they want to let the feeders go or hold them over as fats. And at these price levels of feeders versus fats, I think it'd be better money spent or better money saved letting them go as feeders. Lots of great things today, Mike. Best way for folks to get a hold of you. Globalcomresearch.com is a website. Please sign up for a trial, and uh, the trial is free for two weeks, and then I'll contact you at the end and see if we can't work together. All right. That is today's Fontenelle Final Bell. As we always remind folks, commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss not suitable to all investors. That is the Fontenelle Final Bell brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers on the Rural Radio Network.